0: Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. We're glad you're all here this evening. How many would love for the Lord to upgrade your relationship with His Word during these sessions? Okay, we're we're gonna, that's what I've been praying, and we're gonna pray for each other at the end that the Lord would continue to do that. I'm on that list. Y'all, don't think that I think that I've arrived at anything. I, when people say, oh, you know so much of the word, I just laugh. I'm like, no, tear a little corner off of this. It's just real. There's so much, and it's so alive, And I've tasted enough to where I want to taste more. I want my relationship with the word of God to be upgraded from what it is. I want it to be the lens that I see through. I want it to be the paradigm that I think through. I want it to be the guardrails that keep me safe and moving in the direction of the Lord and building relationship with him. So I've never actually taught from a syllabus like this before. So... Uh, I'm more of a heart preacher, as you might have gathered. Um, I I do have an outline, but sometimes I don't cover it right in order. So we'll see how I do on this. I put this together because I think there's a lot of help in the resources. There's some really rich quotes in here that are worth a lot, if you just meditate on them for a little bit. Um, So the first page, if you have the book, we'll, we'll intro with this, why this course The goal of these lessons is that the Holy Spirit will personally inspire each one of us to receive a greater understanding, love and hunger for God's word. That really is the goal. This is not a beat down. This is not about guilt manipulation. Guilt's not a good motivator long term. Who's found that out? Let's talk about evangelism. Let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about fasting. That's not a good long term motivator. What motivates us as believers is pleasure in God. And when we feel the pleasure of the Lord, when we feel the life of God coming into us through his word, it, wants, it draws us to want more. Have, have you ever been there where the word of God becomes alive in you and you just want to have more? Here's the reality. I talk to pastors pretty consistently and they're telling me the same things. You hear it from the statistics. I quoted some of the Barner surveys in here. If you want to get depressed, get the Barner surveys. Super depressing. Like, I'm like, really, is this really even true? If these numbers are even close, like we do need a revival of the word of God and of passion for the word. Remember when Josiah was king and after he'd been king for a little while, he's repairing the temple and he goes in there and Hilkiah, the priest, finds in the wall of the temple the scripture and the scrolls of the scripture and he gives them to the messenger, Shaphan, and he goes back to Josiah and says, here's a message from Hilkiah. He gave me this to read to you and he reads the scripture. And when Josiah hears it, he tears his garments and begins to cry. What have we been doing? I feel like that sometimes. I see books that are on the bestseller list in charismatic movement. I'm going, what are we doing? I'm probably going to say some things that are going to tweak you during these sessions. and, and, And I'm okay with that. I know personally the things that have gotten the most deeply rooted in my life from the Word of God usually started with me getting irked or irritated by something that I heard. And I wasn't quite sure why, but then I just went in and dug into the Scripture to find out. And it got rooted in my life, and so it ended up being a net gain. So if I bother you or irk you or irritate you, it's really okay. It's probably the Lord helping you. Um, According to Barna, a recent survey of Christians and Christianity in America, only 17% of practicing Christians hold a biblical worldview. That's astonishing. And the number for charismatic Pentecostal believers is only 44%. You can look at these if you have the book. There's six questions that they ask to determine if somebody held a biblical worldview. Does absolute moral truth exist? Number one, is the Bible totally accurate in all the, the principles that it teaches? Number two, is Satan a real being? Number three. Number four is a person cannot earn their way into heaven by being good or doing good. Number five, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. And number six, God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. If you answered yes to all of those, then you have a biblical worldview. So two-thirds of charismatic and Pentecostals did not answer yes to all of those. Only 17% of those who identify as being Christians in America answered yes to all six of those points. This is terrifying. Um, It's grievous and I'm not here at all to curse the darkness. I don't think that that does much good, but to identify the problem, I wanna be part of the answer. I'm I'm wanting to, I'm recruiting. I want you guys to be part of the answer. I I want for the passion and the depth in the word of God and honesty with it to grow in us during these sessions I really, really do. And I'm praying that the Lord by his spirit will do that. And I believe that he's going to do that. The word of God is powerful and amazing in so many ways. The way that I've set up this uh, course and these sessions is there's 12 foundational principles that we're going to talk about and elaborate on as far as the word of God, why it's important, why we need it. And also when we get toward the end, we're going to talk about how to honestly and rightly interpret the Bible. This is, this is a huge need. I can tell you, Charismatic Circles, um, when I had the class at Maranatha, I actually took the number one best-selling book in this category in Charismatic and uh, read out of it and read the chapter titles and read the scriptural basis for what they gave. And everybody's like, no, that's not real. <laughs> it's real. I just wasted 13.50 to get it. So that I could tell you that it, it's, I'm telling you, this is a huge issue. And what it does for us as charismatics, not only does it lead us into all kinds of goofiness and away from the Lord. Look, the Holy Spirit is not afraid of his word. He's not afraid of us rightly handling and interpreting his word. Honestly, he's not afraid of that. That doesn't quench the spirit. Right, we have to, we have to marry Loyalty and faithfulness to the Word of God with the moving of the Holy Spirit. I'm all in on the moving of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully you know that. I've been charismatic since I was first saved. Back in the day. It's been a while. 47 years. Long time. But I've seen the goofiness too and I've experienced some of it myself. And it drove me to the Word of God. I'm gonna share a story right now that none of you have ever heard because I've never shared it. And my wife and I, in our 40 years of marriage, have probably only talked about it once or twice. Because it's a, it's a story that is, to me, I feel in a sense of shame and embarrassment from it. Not, not that it was a sinful, okay? I didn't run around and do some crazy thing like that. But it has to do with just being deceived. The Lord saved me, drew me to himself, hunted me down, revealed himself to me when I was 15 years old. You've heard me tell the story of that. And I basically wandered around just crying out to God for a couple years, and I finally ended up going to a church. It was an Assembly of God church in Danbury, Connecticut, where I met my amazing wife. Um, That was the reason I was there for that season, I'm convinced. Um, uh, Yes, sir. No, no, the reality is the first time I went to service there, she was on the stage worshiping and I was smitten and I've never gotten over it. That, that, that's the truth. I've st- I'm not over it, no. So, is that what you told me to say, Bing? <laughs> no, no, that's really true. So, during that time, I had just gotten a Bible. So I was saved for a year and a half and crying out to God, but I didn't have a Bible. I finally got a Bible and I began to read it and I just was hungry for God. I just wanted to know the Lord. And when I got involved in church and we were youth group, sweethearts and, you know, I was at every service and just just hungry for God and just wanting to know Him and to walk with Him. And that was just my heart, my passion. He revealed Himself to me and my mind was blown. And so he... When I was in my high school years, I was, already had my career path set, my parents had it set with me, and um, the Lord like encountered me on a Sunday night sitting in the back of the church and said, that's not what you're doing. You're going to Bible college. I was like, oh no, how am I gonna tell my dad this? My brother's a top engineer, my other brother's a doctor, and now you're gonna be a stinking preacher. No, I'm going to be a pharmacist. So anyway, he changed me. I told my parents. They were like, well, if that's really what you want to do with your life, then I guess that's what you're going to do. So around that time, I'm a senior in high school. A friend of my mother introduced us to another family. They had a daughter that was roughly Diane's and my age, somewhere in there, and We met her, and she was interesting. She had been having angelic visitations. Angels were coming and sitting on her bed and talking to her. And we began to hear the story, and there was a pastor who was retired. I still remember his name, Brother Britt. He was a retired pastor, very well respected. He talked to her about it, interviewed her, and basically declared that this was God. I mean, this was real, like angels were visiting her. And so I was like, I mean, God had radically saved me, but I was, you, you know, there's a hunger in, in the hearts of God's people for the supernatural. There, there's a hunger in this and it's not wrong, but, but there's, there's safety and there's guardrails. So she's having these angelic visitations and we began to develop a relationship with her. Uh, She was spirit-filled. I remember lots of times just having prayer meetings at their house, praying in tongues. You know, we'd all be praying in tongues and and seeking God and all of that. And she would talk about the angelic visitations that she had. They told her their names. I still remember those names of the angels that she said. And then there began to be this as the relationship grew. Uh, The angel came last night or Thursday night and he told me this about you. And he told me this about you guys. And he told me and we had a friend's circle that we began to tell about this because it was like super exciting. Dude, we have a friend who has angelic visitations almost every week. This is crazy. So then you began to be like, well, well what did they say? What did the angels say? And then there would be some kind of revelation and And added on top of that layer was, no, you know, the angel told me that you're going to have a ministry like the Apostle Paul. And my friend who wanted to be a pastor, Jim, Jimmy, he told me that Jimmy's going to be like the pastor of the church in Philadelphia, you know, the faithful church of the letters to the seven churches. And, And just little things like that dropped that tweak your pride. And that continued on for over a year. Diane and I were talking today. I said, baby, tell me your story without my input, because after this, I don't want you correcting me on the way home. So uh, (laughs) so you just tell me what you remember. And the the reality is, guys, can you testify to this? Your wife usually remembers details better than you do, right? All right. So who said no? so, so I asked her, you know, about that, and we were trying to determine how long it was because this is something, trust me, that we, we, don't, we don't talk about this. Um, it's something that we want to forget. But those things continued... And the angels were giving messages about this and about that. And our friend circle expanded. My brother, who was in med school at that time, got involved in the circle because I brought him into it. I said, hey, like this girl hears from God. Angels are visiting her and talking to her. It's crazy. And my brother was like, oh, wow, because he had just gotten recently saved as well. He's in med school. He gets drawn into the thing. And then before you know it, The angels are saying, and I don't know for sure that the angels said this or not, but this is what came out, that my brother and this girl were supposed to get married. Now, you all laugh at that, but if you had a history of hearing this stuff over and over for this period of time, it seemed real. Like, it totally seemed real. And... All of the details of it, it, it felt like to me sometimes that things that she said, there's no way that she could know. And it felt really real. So this continued on for a little while, over a year. And meanwhile, I've come down to Southeastern, and I started going to Southeastern, and I'm pondering, and I'm hearing things, and I'm still in contact with her and with this circle, and like, what is what are the angels saying? And... Then we had some other people in the group. There was a guy and two girls, I believe. I was asking Diane about the details of this. But So one of the things was the angel said that they were supposed to move in together, the three of them, into an apartment. Because that was going to be basically further whatever ministry, blah, blah, blah. Something like that. And and for me, that was the trigger where I awakened. I said, no. That is. Scripture says to avoid every form of evil. It says to flee youthful lust like that. That's not right. I can't go with that. And I was troubled in my heart. And that, I, it's like I woke up after over a year of being involved in all of this angelic visitations and the messages that they were saying. And all of the super flattering things that they were saying about me that were totally lies. I should have known from the flattery, right? I was just an ignoramus. No, for real. The devil will flatter you and and deceive you in any way that he can. And I don't know what her state, spiritual state was. Uh, I know that I sat in circles with her and a group of friends and worshiped to Keith Green music and prayed in tongues together like dozens or more times. So it, it felt really real. And when I saw that, I go, this is wrong. And I confronted her and blew the whole thing up, so that's how my career of blowing things up started. (laughs) Um, um, I went and said, hey, this is not right. Tell me what's going on, This, this is not right. This is in contradiction to what I know, he said. You can tell me an angel sat on your bed and you can tell me what his name was, and you can tell me what he looked like, and you can tell me all of these things about my future and my destiny. But that in here said, no, that's a red light. That's not right. That's what blew the whole thing up, and that's what turned the corner there, and that maybe is one of the reasons that I have a passion for the word that burns inside of my soul right now, because, Deception is real. The devil plays for keeps. He leads people astray in all kinds of ways. And I have been there and have been the willing participant in the devil. As long as he flattered me, well, I was good. But when it crossed over God's word and the truth of it, I woke up. It's like I woke up out of a sleep and the Lord rescued us and all of us. It just, it it all blew up. So that's my experience. You'll never hear that story again because I'll probably never share it again. It's, it's super um, humiliating in a way for me. But deception, Here, here's the question. How many people do you know that are deceived that know it? By definition, you don't know when you're deceived, right? Right you think it's right. It feels like it's God. It just feels good. So here's, here's one of the things that we need the word of God for. It's safe. It's a right foundation. It keeps us on the track with the Lord. So much of what's happening in the theology and in the bending to the culture that's happened in the church If the culture puts pressure on us about sexual identity, sexual orientation, homosexuality, homosexual marriage and all that, then, oh, we're going to bend to it for wanting to please the culture. But God's truth, we are the guardian of his truth. We are the pillar and the guardian of his truth. And we have to hold true to that. Here's Martin Luther quote. I love it. You should diligently learn the word of God and by no means imagine that you know it. I do not want to let the notion grow that I know the scripture well enough. The devil is a greater rascal than you think he is. His definite design is to get you tired of the word and in this way to draw you away from it. Yeah, that's Martin Luther who translated the Bible into German very familiar with all of the languages, Greek and Hebrew as well. He read it through at least twice a year completely and he studied it. So page two, we'll start out with foundational principle number one with that background. Here's here's foundational principle number one. Biblical scripture is the standard by which we measure all teaching and all spiritual experiences. It is the ultimate authority because all scripture is God breathed. God breathes his scripture, his authority is in it, his truth is in it, his reality is in it. It is absolutely true. It is the safety. For us as charismatics, I love the moving of the Holy Spirit. I love the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm all down for that. But they have to be married to truth or it ends up going astray. If we're seeking, here's the danger that we have in our culture, right? So this is in culture as well as in church culture, is that we crave experiences, and we use the word encounter over and over and over again. We'll have an encounter. I had encounters with a lady that had angels visiting her bed, but they weren't God encounters, and I didn't find that out until it actually crossed the word, and I woke up from my dream. And and that happens today where our theology goes way astray because we're not grounded and rooted in the standard. This is the standard by which we measure everything. This passage in Acts 17, very powerful. Paul and Barnabas were preaching in Thessalonica, very persecuted. They moved on to the next town of Berea. This is Acts 17, verses 10 through 12. Here's what it says the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men. Now think about who the messenger was who preached to them the gospel. It was none other than the apostle Paul who received his revelation. If you, the verses are in here in Galatians, he says, I didn't receive the gospel that I preached from man. I didn't get it from the library. I didn't get it from somebody else's book. I got it directly from revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus sends him as his messenger to preach that gospel. He goes to Berea, he preaches that gospel in the synagogue to the Jews, and what do they do? They go, well, we hear what you're saying, but we've gotta measure this by the standard. And you might think the Lord would say, what are you talking about? This is my messenger that I've sent. I have affirmed him with signs and wonders and miracles of the Holy Spirit. What are you doing questioning him? But rather the Lord's response was something like this. Noble-minded means that that's something to imitate. It carries with it the idea of being honorable. They were exemplary in the way that they received and handled the word of God. It's not wrong to hear something and to go and say, hmm, I wonder if that's really true. Like that actually honors the Lord by saying, Lord, you know what? I'm not sure what to think about this, but I know where to look. This is the standard So let's just look at those few phrases in in those couple of verses. Noble-minded carries with it the idea of being honorable, worthy of imitating. They received the word with eagerness. Notice this. They were hungry for the truth, right? There's there's two ditches in, in the way that we hear and receive the word of God. One ditch is the ditch of gullible. If it sounds exciting and there's a Anointed preacher saying it, I'm just going to go with that. Give me 10 of those books, I'm just going to go with that. that. That's gullible. The gullible Bible, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, the gullible believes everything he hears. Okay, we shouldn't be that way. If it's exciting, if it's a new revelation, if it's a new revelation, that's, for me that's always a half mast red flag. Because if the saints in 2,000 years have never seen this, and they were like 10 times more dedicated than all of us in this room. They fasted for four days a week, and they read the word of God 25 times a year. I mean, like they never saw it. But now we saw this new revelation. Like, no, I'm, I'm going to automatically go, maybe. But let's look and see if it adds up. Okay. Y'all okay? You Okay. Like, we need to hear this. We're spirit filled we're Pentecostal, we're charismatic people, we need to hear this because we don't do a great job with this, I can tell you. And if you look at amazon.com, at the books in the charismatic section, you will see that we don't do a good job. There's a lot of stuff that's hokey and flaky out there that we have to take ownership of, and it's not throwing somebody under the bus, but the reality is we honor God when we honor his word. When we say this is the standard, yes. And we're gonna eagerly examine the word. So they received it with eagerness. There was a hunger to know, love, and believe the truth of God. They weren't coming in as heresy hunters. You gotta understand. So the ditch on the other side is the cynical ditch. I started out on the gullible ditch. Angels, that's gotta be God. And then I moved over to the cynical ditch. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about anything actually. I tend to be towards the cynical ditch, but I know that you don't go in there. Can can I just tell you guys something? If you have to get, and it hurts me to say this, but if you have to get in one ditch or the other, always go in the gullible ditch because I can get you out. If you go in the cynical ditch and you criticize everything and you're a heresy hunter and you're not going to believe anything that anybody says, if there's 1% off of it, you reject the whole thing. You're going to throw out the baby with the bathwater every time. That's the cynical ditch. You have to have everything proved to 25 scriptures. You can't accept anything or receive anything from anybody because you're doubting everything starting out with that. Don't get there. That's a dark place that you may not be able to get out of. And there are people who are in that that can't get. I've been in it before and it's hard to get out. So I'm just saying a word to the wise. Don't go in the cynical ditch. Stay in the healthy, happy middle. There is a healthy, happy middle. You don't have to be gullible. The the naive believes everything he hears. Don't be like that. Just because it's exciting and the anointed man of God has a new book, don't just believe it for that reason. Compare it with what you know is the truth. That's what we're supposed to do. That doesn't dishonor God. That honors God. That says, God, your word is actually the standard that I'm building my life on and so this is right. The Lord applauded the Bereans and he applauds us when we are diligent to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And I'll be honest with you. I hear things and I look into them and I pour out everything that I got and I still don't get it. And I put it back on the shelf and I might take it out two years later and go, I wonder about that. I never really resolved that in my own heart. There's a lot of things. I've got stacks of stuff on the shelf that I'm still like, I don't really get it. Are you surprised? You shouldn't be. That's true. I do not really get it. So I'll pull that back off and look at it again. I'll study back through it. I'll Somebody will tweak something in me about it and I'll go back after it. That's really okay. That honors the Lord that we use his word as the standard. They received it with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. They were diligent and persistent in their wrestle with the scriptures. I like this word wrestle. That's what I told my students in the class when we had Maranatha here. Like, when we come in here, we're not coming in here for me to spit out of my head into your head. Like, that's powerless. If you want to be in ministry, you got to own it for yourself in your own heart. you got to believe it. It's got to burn inside of you. That's when you can share it with power. You can go on YouTube all day long and listen to good things spit in your head from their head, but you try to spit it in somebody else's head, and there's no power in it. If you want something to have power, it's got to burn in your gut. And the way that happens is you got to marinate in it. you got to keep going over and over again until it becomes alive. That's the relationship the Lord wants us to have with his word. It's not primarily mental. There's a mental component, of course. But there's also an emotional component where we're like, I love this. Lord, I love your word. I can't. When... When you quicken it to my heart and it's alive, like I walk around in a daze, what in the world? What in the world? Or I'll read it and I laugh out loud. And my wife says, what are you laughing at? I'm saying, Jesus said that out loud in front of people. That's so crazy. He's the most secure person that ever lived. He was not afraid for people to leave him. He knew his father had the whole thing, so he's like, hey, when the crowds get big, we thin them out. If you're going to follow me, you have to hate father, mother, brother, sister, even your own life. Oh, yeah, and by the way, you have to take up your cross every day and follow me. Really? The only thing that came to the disciples' mind when he said take up your cross was that they saw Jewish people who were rebels, rebelling against, uh, rebelling who were rebelling against the Roman Empire, crucified in rows along the streets. A couple of miles away from Jerusalem, around that time, in a little town called Sufferus, they crucified 2,000 Jews and just lined them along the main street. Dude, that would make an impression on your mind. And here's Jesus preaching, how to win friends and influence people. If you follow me, you can be like one of those that's hung up on the side of the road because that's what it's going to cost. I love Jesus because he put the cost up front. He didn't try to hide it and then pull it out at some later date. He threw all his cards on the table to start with. I love that. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. That's beautiful. I love that. I'm in, and he knows when we see him, We'll do it, because he's worth it. Therefore, many believed. Follow the connection there. They received the word of God with eagerness. They examined the scriptures daily. Therefore, many believed. There's the continuum. They received good heart. They weren't heresy hunters. They weren't gullible. They received. They wanted to receive the truth. They examined the scriptures, they went and they studied. They actually did the work of meditation, of musing and thinking about it, of pondering it, of, of chasing the, chain, the references to all the other verses that have to do with that topic. Like this is the way, if, if you only have one other book other than your Bible, which most of you have more than that, I get that, but have a concordance, have a good concordance. What is a concordance? It, you can look up a word. Let's say the word prophecy. Look up prophecy in there. It will list every time that your Bible translation uses that word prophecy. Chase down every single reference. Like, this is what you do immerse yourself in that topic, and then you see what the Bible actually teaches about it rather than what somebody else teaches about it. And that's a very good thing. Then you get a feel for what God says about it. So, chase it. Therefore, many believe. Here's the deal when we do this with His Word, faith is supernaturally produced inside of us, and it rocks our world. That's what happens. That's what happens. If you just get YouTube spit in your head out of somebody else's head, it doesn't rock your world. You might be excited about it for a little bit, but what rocks our world is when, this is what James called it, receive with humility the engrafted word. It grafts inside of you. It becomes part of you. If something's grafted in you, it's growing in you. Dude, what's that sticking out of your stomach? It's John. John. John? Yeah, you know that verse in John 4? It's growing in me. It's rocking my world. When he said you have to worship in spirit and in truth, like oh! That's real. It's alive. It's part of us. He wants us to relate to his word in this way. couple quotes that are so good. George Mueller, if you don't know him, he lived over 100 years ago in Bristol, England. He raised orphans, educated them, fed them, had five huge houses. He raised all the money for them over his life. He, he did that until he was in his early 90s and then he went on the mission field after that. That's a real story. He, he went overseas and preached the gospel for like four years after he did the 10,000 orphans that he raised. Modern estimates are that he raised $200 million to support them without ever asking one time for support from anyone. I respect a man like that. I respect his walk with God. So often he'd have all these orphans to take care of. Imagine it you got to clothe them, you got to feed them. In England, that time, there's no public schools. He had to school them. That's a lot of groceries. And several times in his book on answered prayer, he talks about how they get up in the morning and they didn't have food or milk. And they'd bow, sit at the table, Lord, we thank you for your provision for this day. He'd go outside, front door, somebody left 50 gallons of milk there or a sack of cash. It happened over and over again. Dude, that, that's a dude that knew how to trust God. He had a conviction. You don't ask for people for money. I'm not saying that's wrong. That was his conviction. But his whole life, he never asked anybody for money. That's phenomenal. What was his secret? Here's what Mueller said. The vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. marinate on that. The vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. A.W. Tozer, many of you know that name. Here's what he says, the word of God understood and obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. He means maturity And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. I just want to shout right now. I just want to shout out loud. Hallelujah! It's not just refrigerator magnet verses. It's not just bumper sticker verses. Because those are the easy ones. We got to embrace all of what the scripture says because God breathed every bit of it. He breathed all of it. All scripture, every scripture is God breathed. So when we take it into ourselves and it attaches itself, there's something alive growing out of your belly, brother. It's the word of God. It's powerful. The word, biblical scripture is the standard by which we measure all teaching, even if it's from the apostle Paul. We, we still measure it by this standard, because the Bible is the ultimate authority. Can you say amen to point one? All right, we're going to try to get through point two, and then we'll move on into the next one. Like, next session, y'all, listen, you're going to be offended at the next section. I'm serious. Like, you're, you're going to, I'm going to get that, I'm going to get that Lakeland look out of the next session. It's going to tweak you, but it'll be a good tweaking for you, okay? Are you okay with that? Okay, foundational principle number two. This goes right along with the first one. Here it is. Owning the scripture for ourselves. That's the language that I like to use. We own it for ourselves. It becomes ours. Like Paul said, my gospel, right? This becomes our word of God. We own it inside of us. We have studied it. We have fed on it. We have let it be grafted inside of us, and it's ours. We own it. Owning the scriptures for ourselves is the surest foundation for deep faith in God. This is so true. And a consistent walk with him. This is so true. I've seen this over and over again. I can't tell you. The hardest part for me of being in leadership is watching the brokenness of people's lives and not being able to fix it. I tell myself all the time, I say it under my breath. People probably think I'm a little crazy. I am a little quirky. I'm not the Savior. I'm not the Savior. You're the Savior. Like I, all I can do is go like this. There, there's your answer. Your answers. It's real. But like I can't make you do that I'm not the savior owning the scripture for ourselves is the surest foundation for deep faith in God and a consistent walk with him faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God the word of Christ that's true when the initial reception of the gospel and it's true throughout our Christian walk that faith is built in us because look Here's the most powerful thing about preaching. This is why I love preaching and teaching the scripture. Not because it's a career to me. It's not at all. But because when if you can show people, God said that. Like, no, no, you don't get it. God said that. God, God said that. That's so powerful and life rocking. God said that. Well. If God said that, that's a sure foundation to put your faith in. You can stand on that and jump on it, and it won't collapse. God said it himself. Even the most profound spiritual encounters, please hear this, by themselves are not sufficient basis for the Christian life. I've known people over the years in this church where their entire Christianity was coming young adult service and getting prophesied over. That was it. And I said to them, well, what, what about your relationship with the Lord the rest of the week? Do, do, you, do you have a relationship with the word of God? Do you, do you have a prayer life? Do you what, what, what else do you do? No, no, that's it. That's all I do. I'm like, I, I didn't say it. But I I thought it. That's why your life is shipwrecked right now. Because all you're doing is seeking encounter. Like, I believe in encounters with the Holy Spirit. Trust me, I've had some that have wrecked my life. But that's not what I build on. I build on what I know 100% is absolutely solid every time I stand on it. It's absolutely true and solid. I want the encounters with God, but they have to be inside these guardrails. Right? I've, already, I've done the angel thing on the bed, all right? I've already done that, so I'm, I'm, pa- I'm past that. So I'm over the angel thing on the bed. So, and, and I'm also over the thing of, honestly, uh, look, we, we, we need not be encounter seekers. Like, that's the thing that we're after, and that's the ultimate goal of our Christianity. It's not. The reason that we exist is to glorify our God. And the way that we glorify him is by rightly honoring him and worshiping him with our life, with our choices, and with everything that we are. That's, that's the goal of life. Encounters along the way with God and with his presence. I love the presence of God. Trust me, because I, I do. But we need to hear what I'm saying. I've seen the effects of this. I had a pastor just this last week tell me, you know, I mentioned to him that we were going to be teaching this course. He said, oh, my goodness. He said, we are so desperate to hear that. It's real. We are. Strong. You young men, right? This is First John passage that was in the, the prayer emphasis for the fasting. You young men are Strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the enemy. You've overcome the evil one. Why are you strong? Because the word of God abides in you. Like it's it's coming out of your belly. It's attached. It's attached to you. It's growing in you. It's alive in you. That's what makes us strong. That's what makes us steady. I've seen people that were so gifted that I was like, that is ridiculous. I mean, have you ever heard somebody prophesy so accurately that like when they knew nothing, I remember this one occasion where this dude was like whacked out, drunk, drunk in the spirit, you know, laying on his back and he's prophesying to different people in the room. And it's ridiculous because I knew the people. Like it was crazy accurate. And then I know that same person who would have jumped off the Empire State Building for Jesus, backslide over and over and over and over and, and life very unstable in Christ. That's not what the Lord wants. That's not, the purpose of the gifts is not so he, God is not about entertaining us. He's about training us. He's about shaping us into the image of his son. And the encounters that we have with him have purpose. They have purpose, but it's not for entertainment. It's for the shaping of the character, the nature, the beauty, the reality, the truth of Jesus in our life and in our soul. And he comes not to be an honored guest. He comes to take over. That's what I used to tell people when we had our seven children. They invite us over for dinner. I said, you know, we don't come for a visit. We come to invade. Like, I hope you have a whole lot of food because these little boogers can eat. (laughs) And the Lord says, those who received him, to them he gave the authority, the power to become the children of God. When he's talking about receiving, he's talking about opening all the doors, right? He's, he's, He's talking about going through your underwear drawer and checking all of your online history and looking at your checkbook and your bank account and looking at what you, he's talking about everything because Lord means he's the master. This is the part of Christianity that is so important to get at the beginning because it changes everything and then it takes away so many questions that we don't have to wrestle with. Oh, should I do that? Oh, he doesn't want me to. Well, I can't do that then. I can't smoke weed anymore. Because he don't like it. I can't do that kind of thing. He doesn't like it. That's, he's, he's my Lord. So he rules and controls my life. Even the most profound spiritual encounters by themselves are not sufficient basis for the Christian life. I want to show you that in this passage in Luke chapter 24 on the Emmaus Road. This is so profound. This rocks my boat and makes my baby jump. Luke 24 Verse 13 to 35, we're going to read it. There's two disciples here that are coming towards Emmaus. It says, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. Jesus had just been crucified, and they were discouraged, depressed, heartbroken, confused disciples. They had been hanging with the twelve in Jerusalem, and now they're heading towards Emmaus. And they're in this state of confusion and discouragement. And they were talking to each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing it, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. I love Jesus. This is so amazing. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So he had on a disguise. I'm sure it was a super good one. Very convincing. They obviously didn't know. They'd hung around, so, they, so he starts walking with them. Hey, what's going on, dudes? And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days, you idiot? <laughs> He's he probably glad he didn't say that. And Jesus said to them, what things? I just think this is so amazing. And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. You don't know that? Did you just fall off a rock? What? But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. Also, some of the women Among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Encounter. Some of their close friends had an encounter with an angel who told them something. That's real. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women who had also said, but they did not see him. Encounter. And he said to them, O foolish man, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Your problem is, the word was never grafted in you. You say, why didn't Jesus just come up to them on the road and go, ta-da! I'm here. I'm raised from the dead. Why didn't he do that? Because he knew that a spiritual experience wasn't sufficient grounds for them to be rooted in their walk and consistent. They had to have the scriptures grafted inside of them because that's what would keep them. You can forget or you can second guess yourself on encounters that you've had. Anybody ever done that? Or things that God has spoken to you? Have you ever gone back and read something? I don't really remember. Was it actually that way? I mean, you can do that. But I want to tell you something. When something's growing out of your belly, you can't do that. You go, no. That's real. That burns. That's alive. I believe Jesus did this because he wanted to show what the best and most profitable way for his disciples to get rooted in their faith in him was. And it wasn't to just have an encounter. You understand when I'm saying this, I'm not mocking it. And I'm not minimizing it. I'm just trying to put it in its proper place. There's a foundation that is built with the scripture inside of our heart where it's grafted in there that nothing else can replace. Nothing. Nothing. No encounter, no word of prophecy, no angel on the bed. Nothing can take his place. And it keeps us steady. Why does it keep us so steady? Because it's always there. Like it's solid, it's substantive inside of our belly. And we know it's there. It's like a woman who's pregnant, right? <laughs> you know the baby's in there. You're carrying something alive. And it's the same way. We become pregnant with the scripture when it's engrafted inside of us. And it's a game and a life changer. So let me finish this passage. Yeah, we're doing okay. He said to them, oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Notice the word all there. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then notice this. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all, say all, all all the scriptures, not just the refrigerator magnet ones. No, he went through Micah, Obadiah, Nahum. He he went through all of it. Wherever there was a reference to Christ, he went through and he showed them look, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. It's in those 28 places, like right there. And they're like, oh, dude, that's crazy. I haven't even read that book in three years. I couldn't even spell it on a spelling test. Like, that's so amazing. In all the scriptures. He explained it to them, and they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going to go farther. I love Jesus messing with us. But they urged him, saying, Please stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day's now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread. I can imagine that he winked. And he blessed it, breaking it, began giving it to them. And then the jig was up. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished. Poof. Encounter. But the encounter happened after they got engrafted. And they didn't say, wasn't that amazing? He disappeared. When we read down in here, what they said was, when he was speaking the word to us, it was burning in our hearts. It rocked our world. That word got engrafted. Look at that. It's sticking out of me. It's so beautiful. It's powerful. Their eyes were open. They recognized him. And they said to one another, the first thing, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was opening, is what the Greek says there, explaining or opening the scriptures to us. He opens them up to where we can see what they say. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate the experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So here's some lessons that we'll bring in, in closing out this session together. Lessons from Emmaus, I call it. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Jesus intentionally prevented these discouraged disciples from recognizing him because he knew that they, what they needed first was to have the Scripture as the main foundation for their faith. This is true for us as charismatics. The main foundation for our faith is Scripture. Has to be Scripture. That's what's solid. I praise God for every... Pro- I have prophecies that were given to me by reputable people and some by unreputable ones. If, if I felt like they were the Lord, it's okay. I, I have a stack like this on my desk. And say every once in a while, I'll go through those things. I'll say, Lord, I, I believe they're from the Lord. But that's, that's not what I build my life on. I build my life on the unchangeable, unshakable, always true word of God. And it keeps me steady in my walk with the Lord. I, I Praise God. It's no credit to me. I'm no hero. I'm no different than anybody else. The the thing that kept me from early on was God gave me a gift of the hunger for his word. And I just wanted to marinate it and roll in it. (laughs) And it kept me steady. The grass withers, Isaiah 48. The flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. It is the solid rock that never changes. This phrase in that passage, they were slow of heart to believe. The root problem was a heart issue. The lack of the scripture being alive inside of them was the problem. Being filled with and marked by the word of God is always a game changer. The third phrase I pointed out as we read through all the prophets, he said he shared with them about what all the prophets said and things concerning him in all of the scripture. Jesus said they needed a thorough knowledge of scripture, not just a few favorite verses. This is a big deal. Right. This is this is this is one of the things that I'm praying that the Lord will help us to upgrade in to where we don't treat the Bible like where we flip it open and we read three verses and then we go on them our day. But like, that's, that's okay. It's not sufficient. I just want to tell you there's something better. There's something better. They were, they said, we're not our hearts burning within us as he was opening to us the scriptures. Jesus calls all of his disciples into relationship with him, whereby his spirit, he opens his words to us and causes his truth to be a living flame inside of our hearts. Here's a couple of verses that talk about the Lord himself teaching us. Psalm 119, which I am passionate about. We'll get to that in a later lesson, but Psalm 119, 102, I have not turned away from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. And then in John 14, you're familiar with this, 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he takes the words that Jesus has spoken and he grafts them inside of us as we wait on him, as we spend time with him. You go, well, I read the Bible and I don't get it and it doesn't get grafted. I do too. So? Should we give up? Or should we say, Lord... I wait on you. Holy Spirit, come and help me plant inside of me your words as I read this. Reading it out loud, I find to be very helpful. Just reading it out loud to the Lord or reading it out loud in the presence of the Lord, His word. And if I get it, if my mind gets busy and I and I blank out, how many have ever done that? If you've been to school, you've done it. You, you read things, right? You know that as a teacher, right? Your students do that. They glaze over. They read something. Else. What did you just read? I don't know. I, I do that too. It's okay. Holy Spirit, help me. I want the word to be engrafted inside of me. Because listen, here's the reality. We are called on to be sharers of the word, right? The most solemn and weighty, exhortation in all of the new testament that i know of is in second timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 <clears throat> preach the word preach the word preach the word because of God's presence, because of Christ's coming, because of eternity, preach the word. In season, out of season, don't stop. Keep preaching the word, even if they turn away and they heap to themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Still preach the word, keep faithful because it is the eternal tool that changes and transforms hearts and draws people to Jesus. We are the vessels that speak the word. You go, I'm not called to minister, you're wrong. You're a Christian. You have the word of God inside of you, and God calls you to speak it. It's alive, and when it comes out alive, it, it changes one little word. I heard a lady, who was a she was a very powerful evangelist. She was a she had been a call girl. I don't say call girl. She was a dancer in Vegas, and the Lord like just reached in and saved her in a powerful way. And the way it happened was she was all messed up on drugs dancing in the casinos in Vegas, and she was at somebody's house. And she said it was the first time in her life that she ever heard the name of Jesus from the lips of a believer. In Vegas, it's always a curse word. And this lady simply said this to her, Honey, I don't know what all your problems are, but I know that Jesus Christ can change your life. And it rocked her whole world. So you don't have to be super eloquent. You just have to have words that are alive and you speak them forth when the Lord gives them to you. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.